Good morning. Good to see you all here. If you're visiting with us online, we're glad to have you as well with us uh, today. Good to see you all. Um, this morning, hope you have your Bible with you, or if you have your phone that has a Bible app on it, you're going to be using it a lot today, if that's okay. Uh, so make sure you have that ready. We're going to be uh, using the scripture a lot today, turning through some different passages as we try and understand this portion of Matthew 5. We've been studying through the Beatitudes as part of our greater sermon series uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, which will probably take us through the next several months, but we've been spending some time specifically each week on a different Beatitude, and so this morning we'll be focusing on verse 8 of chapter 5, but for context's sake, we're going to read through 1 through 8 this morning, so I want to invite you to stand together and honor God's word this morning as we read Matthew 5, verses 1 through 8. This is the word of the Lord, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pray with me. Father, we pray a blessing on, on us today. Lord, we recognize this is your word. God, this is how you've chosen to speak to us through your Holy Spirit. So I pray, Lord, that you would teach us from your word. Lord, help guide my mouth and my mind. Lord, that I might not take away from your word at all. But Lord, may your spirit move among us so we can understand what it is you were saying, King Jesus, about the pure in heart. So be with us this morning. Teach us, Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Maybe see this morning. Throughout the centuries, actually, really since the beginning of time, um, people have attempted to answer this question who gets to see God? Um, go all over the world and people ask this question, they come up with different answers. Uh, just, let's just look at the, the major world religions and how they answer this very briefly so I can make my point here that there's this longing within all of us as a human nature to, to right what's wrong. Something is wrong, and everybody recognizes that within us. Uh, but people interpret that in different ways. And so if you look at different religions around the world, look at Hinduism. If you look at Hinduism, if you know anything about Hinduism, there's 330 million gods and you must appease them. And the way you do that is through ritual. You do this through um, a certain a system of works. And they call heaven moksha. That's, what they, that's the Hindu heaven. And it teaches the idea basically of, of reincarnation, that you live a good life, and if you live good, then you will die and reincarnate into something else. It's this endless cycle of, of birth and finding yourself and death, and then hopefully you've done enough good that you can reincarnate into something better, but the goal is to eventually make it to heaven. So for the Hindu, to see God is a works-based system. Buddhism is very similar. Buddhism teaches the goal is to reach nirvana, and if you're in the 90s, it's not a band. Well, it was a band, but nirvana is based on Buddhism, and the goal is to reach nirvana, which is a state of, of perfect peace and happiness, and the way that you are to do that is through following the four noble truths and following the eightfold path. And this is what the eightfold path is. Here are the eight things. You have a right view, 
right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, and right, uh, right mindfulness, and right concentration. If you can do those eight things, okay, you will reach nirvana. You will see God. So Buddhism is the same kind of idea. How do we see God? Well, you do the Eightfold Path. You do these things, and you can reach that level of nirvana. Islam is also very similar to this. Um, paradise is attained when Allah weighs a follower's good works against his bad works. It's this idea of a scale for the, for the Muslim. The Quran actually says this in the book of Surah, verse, chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. Listen to the words that they say. The balance that day, talking about judgment day, will be true. Those whose scale of good works will be heavy will prosper. Those whose scale will be light will find their souls in perdition. So Islam is a religion of outweighing good deeds versus your bad deeds. And based on this scale, that's how you see God. Judaism, very, very similar. Judaism, the way you see God is by keeping the law and keeping ceremonies and certain rituals within Judaism, right? And then you have the Christian religion, what we are involved in. But if you look at Christianity, it's, it's very similar, isn't it? Look at all the different denominations and sects of even Christianity. They also preach the idea of, of the way you see God is through good works. The way you deal with the sin, the sin problem is we got to do good things. And so it's this idea of a ladder. See, we, and the danger is in Christianity, we can look at the Beatitudes as a, as a ladder. So, so when we read the Beatitudes, this idea of if we want to reach God, see, for the, for the Buddhists and for Hindus, it's do these things and you'll do this, right? Do more good things, you'll be here. I got to be really careful here, guys. Marty 6.5, okay? But in Christianity, what we can easily do is the very, very same thing. And we can read the Beatitudes, just these Beatitudes, and we can say this, I feel like something's between me and God. So I read Jesus' words here, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, maybe, maybe I just need to be poor in spirit, and then, then, I, then I can, you know, get closer. And then, and then maybe... Man, mourning, I don't, I don't do that. He says here, blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Well, maybe I just need to mourn a lot more, right? And then we go on and we can say, blessed are the meek, for they won't inherit the earth. And we go, keep going up. It's this idea of up and down the ladder. And I'm not going to keep going here. But those who bless, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's this constant thing that if we can do these things, then we will see God. And so what really separates the Christian religion, if that's what Christianity is, is this ladder of going up to reach God. We're really no different than Islam. We're no different than Buddhism. We are no different than Hinduism. We're just a Christian version of the same problem. Is that what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God? Does it mean that we have to have this constant up and down of Getting, doing good and purifying ourselves to do good, and this is constant up and down battle of I'm far away from God, but if I do these things and I'll get closer to God, then I slip up and I mess up and I got to purify myself again. It's just up and down relationship with God of works, and it wears you out. I'm losing my breath, climbing up and down a ladder. It's our natural tendency to do this, though, folks. We've wrapped it into our religion and our faith. 
It's been happening since the beginning. When Adam and Eve recognized that they had sinned, what did they do? They hid from God. They sewed from themselves clothes because they recognized they were naked. They recognized there was a problem. And their solution was to fix it. So they made clothes for themselves. You and I do the same thing. We recognize we have sin. We recognize there's a problem. And so what do we do? We go up and down a ladder. We try and fix it. So, here's the goal this morning. These are not a series of steps for us to follow in order to see God. Rather, these are characteristics of what the believer looks like. Okay? So the goal this morning, we're going to answer, we're going to answer two questions that will be on the screen here. Here's two questions we're going to answer this morning. What does it mean to be pure in heart? And number two, how do we see God? All right, so let's deal with question number one. What does it mean to be pure in heart? What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, we're going to get into those terms. We're going to look at pure and we're going to look at the heart. When the Bible speaks of these things, what do they mean? We'll start with the heart. Okay, the heart. When the Bible speaks of the heart, what does it mean? Obviously, the, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's not speaking of the physical organ that pumps blood throughout our body, although it is the perfect metaphor uh, that conveys this idea of a physical heart. But just as the heart and our physical bodies is a central part of us, and it, it gives life to everything else, and from it, life comes from, right? The heart in the Bible is the center of the person. So when the Bible speaks of the heart, what it's talking about is is the center of who you are. It's the, it's the deepest part of you. So it involves your mind. It involves your will. It involves all your emotions. The Bible speaks of the heart of being like this, this fountain. And, and from this fountain, from this spring, everything of who you are comes from that spring. So everything you do, every passion, every desire, every action comes from this spring, your heart. It's a center of who you It's your core. And so because it's your core, it guides everything that you do and the reason you do it. So the, the heart is not part of who we are, it is the center of who we are. That's what the Bible teaches. Our heart is what defines us and directs us. So this is what the heart is, when the Bible speaks of the heart, this is what it's talking about. I want you to hear how the Bible goes on to describe the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. I'll read this one for you. You can go there if you want. Listen to what Jeremiah says. The heart, that center, core of who we are, right? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Genesis 6-5, way back before the flood, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. You're like, well, that's prior to the flood, and he got rid of that. Well, actually, after the flood, Genesis 8, 21, he looks at those and he says, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So it's still there, okay? Ecclesiastes 9, 3, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. If you have kids, you understand this. See, we don't have to teach kids to lie, do we? We don't have to teach them to be selfish. Here, son, here's how you be selfish. You take toys from your friends. We don't have to teach that. What do we have to do? We have to teach the opposite. Because they are born in sin. 
The heart is fully deceived because of sin. I want you to hear how Jesus says it. If you have your Bible, go to Mark 7. I want you to see his words. How does Jesus view the heart of man? Mark 7. I'm going to read a few verses here. Starting in verse 14. Listen to how Jesus describes the heart. And he called the people to him, verse 14, again, and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the temple, his disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, Then you are also without understanding. Do you not see whatever goes into a person from the outside can't defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. They said, When... What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, listen to the things he lists here, from the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all of these things come from within and they defile a person. Wow. Jeremiah was rough saying that it's desperately sick. Jesus' description is a lot worse. So what Jesus is saying here is the heart is what the problem is. See, we tend to think that sin is just this outward behavior, the things we do. Jesus comes along and says, no, it's not the things you do as much as it's what's inside. That's the problem. See, we want to fix things. So we do things by outwardly fix. So if we have outward sin, we do outwardly good things. We think that this is how it's supposed to go. But Jesus comes along and says, it's not about this thing. It's not about this thing that you do. It's about the heart. The heart is the thing that's sick, not just your actions. So think about it. Take take any problem in life, anything that leads to sin, and you will always discover it starts in the heart. Think of every murder originates with a heart of hatred. Every sexual immoral act begins in the heart with lust. Every theft begins in the heart with covetousness. Every lie begins in the heart with pride. It all begins in the heart. But we focus on all the things. This is why when the rich young ruler comes up, Jesus says, what must I do? What must I do to see God? I do all these things. I do all these things, Lord. I follow the Ten Commandments. He says, but you lack one thing. Go and sell your, all that you have and give to the poor. What Jesus is doing there is he's getting to what? The heart. He's going to his heart. It's not about just giving your money. That's not how you get to heaven. But the rich young ruler, his heart was sick with money and greed. So Jesus goes to his heart. This is, this is what Jesus came for. This is why he came to earth. He understood we don't have an outward works problem. He never says, blessed are those who are pure in their deeds, for they shall see God. He didn't come to correct our outward actions or works. This is what the Pharisees were doing and ironically, this is the one, these are the ones who Jesus rebuked most often, because this is what they taught. Jews, if you want to see God, you will follow the rules we have in place. Jesus comes along and rebukes that, and he calls them whitewashed tombs. They are pretty on the outside, but on the inside, they are dead. See, Jesus came to rescue the heart, because that's what he sees. First Samuel 16, 7, when David is about to be anointed king. He, God tells Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of a stature because I've rejected them. 
For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward things, but the Lord looks on the heart. People, we need to understand that God is more concerned with our inward hearts than our outward conduct. Because when, when he heals the heart, when he purifies the heart, the conduct follows. So he's after our heart. That is what God is most concerned with, is our hearts. It's utterly crucial to Jesus. Jesus didn't come in the world because we have some bad habits that we need to be corrected in. He came into the world because we have such dirty hearts that he alone can cleanse them. That's why he came. There's not enough rungs on a ladder to reach him. So there's, no good, there's not enough good things that we can do. The Bible even says that our good deeds, even our best deeds, are like filthy rags before him. There's not enough rungs on this ladder to reach him. But he comes down the ladder. He comes to us. We can't reach him. He had to come to us. So when the Bible speaks of the heart, we need to understand how the Bible says the heart is that we have a sin problem and there's nothing we can do about it. There's not enough good deeds that can outweigh the sin and deceitfulness of our hearts. That's what the Bible says about the heart. Jesus says that we need to be pure in heart. We need to be pure in heart. So what is pure? What does the Bible mean when it speaks of pure, purity? The Greek word here for pure Jesus uses is katharos, and it means, it means clean. It means without blemish, but it, it carries more weight than just clean. In our language, uh, it's hard to describe this using the word purity or clean because has many different meanings, and you can interpret that however you want. I can tell my kids to go clean their room, but their version of clean and my version of clean are totally different things, right? So it's not enough to just be, hey, go clean your heart. Get your heart clean. It carries more weight than that. It's the idea of being clean without mixture. It's without the slightest amount of pollutant. So if I had a glass of water, but a full glass of water, but I had a speck of some other material, some other substance, and I put it in that water, it is now unclean. No matter if it's more water than that thing, it doesn't matter. It is now no longer pure. It has another substance, even though it's small, that ruins its purity. That's what the word pure means. So it's this, this idea of single-mindedness, single focus, undivided. So when the Bible talks about a pure heart, it means an undivided heart has nothing else in it. It's only focus. It's only singular focus is on God. An impure heart, an impure heart, is one that has, that could love God a lot, but has a small amount of the world in it. It's impure. So because of sin, our hearts don't desire God. It, it desires sin. It focuses on idols. It focuses on other things, not on God. Therefore, our hearts need to be purified, and we can't do this. So, how do we do this then? If we can't do it, there's no amount of good works we can do. There's, we only think of evil all the time. Even our good deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. What do we do? Okay, the Bible talks about we must be pure. We must be made pure. And there's two different kinds of purity in the Bible. I want to make this very, very clear because, again, we can make this about works very, very easily. But there's two different kinds of purity in the Bible. First one is salvific purity or saving purity okay saving purity yours and my hearts are so defiled and only seek sin the bible says in romans 3 there's no one righteous not one no one understands no one seeks god 
No one does good, not even one. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. We'll read this together. I want you to see this as well. I want you to see our hearts. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. How do you see God? It's right there. We've been seated with him in the heavenly places. How? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. Okay? It is by him. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's not by works. Not by works. By grace alone. It's only found by Christ coming down the ladder to us. We cannot reach him, is what he says. So how are we made pure in heart? This, this is salvation. You receive salvation. You receive purity. You receive a cleansing of your dead heart. The only way that can happen, that saving purity, is by grace alone. That's it. That's what separates us from every religion. We don't climb a ladder. We simply stop trying and we trust. That's what Christianity is about. We trust in the grace of God alone. That's Christianity. That's the good news. Because up and down this ladder, it's a lot of work, and that's bad news. The good news of the kingdom is that we trust in his blood. We sang about it a minute ago. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen to Ezekiel 36. I want you to listen how many times God says the word I, capital I. He's talking about salvation here, the prophet is. Ezekiel 36, if you want to go to it later, I'll read it for you here. Listen to how many times he says, I. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your sin and from all of your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Salvation is done by Christ alone. Alone. He is the one who does it. Every bit of it. He is the one who takes the, start, the, the, the stone from your flesh and gives you a heart of flesh. He, this is why Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And you can't be born again. You can't, re this is why Nicodemus is like, I don't get this. How can I go back into my mother's womb? That's the point. You can't. You have nothing to do with your birth. It took an act of God and just salvation. The purity of salvation only comes from Christ. So that's the first type of purity. 
So how do you see God? You must be born again. You must be born again. That's how you see God. But there's a second kind of purity as well. There's a sanctifying purity. Even after we are saved and we are made righteous, our hearts are made pure before the Lord. While we remain on this earth, sin still has its effects, right? Do you guys still sin or is it just me? Okay? You have been saved. You have understood and you have received the free gift of salvation, not of your works, so that I can't boast. I simply trust in Jesus to purify me and cleanse me. I believe that. And I will see God one day because of that faith, because of that grace. But I sinned this morning. I struggle with pride, right? Do you struggle with sin as well? And don't we need to be made pure and cleansed daily, right? This is the sanctifying purity that we must go through. It's a process the Bible calls sanctification. It's a process of daily conforming our hearts to his. Remember what purity is? It's this idea that we, in our hearts, our hearts are often divided, We serve all kinds of idols, even good things we serve, we give our lives to, and our hearts are divided. So the idea of sanctification is reorienting our hearts daily, because it takes us daily, purifying our hearts, cleansing ourselves, refocusing, singular focusing our hearts on Christ every day. Paul talks about this in Romans 7, where he talks about this the struggle he has and you can see in the words he says he's like the things I want to do and that I should do those are things I don't do and the things that I shouldn't do and the things I know I shouldn't do those are the things I keep doing oh wretched man that I am okay Paul struggled with it too you and I we still have the struggle of sin and so the Lord does this in our hearts he cleanses us in salvation but he also is sanctifying us and cleansing us daily we're going to sing this song in just a few minutes but I love the words of Come thou fount of every blessing. One of the verses says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. It's the writer saying, Lord, I just continually follow after sin. So, Father, would you purify me? Would you sanctify me? I need this daily. It's that cry of the heart. So how does God do this? So not only does God save us, he's sanctifying us. Listen to Philippians 1.6. But even in that sanctification, it's not this latter thing. Listen to what Jesus says. Even in our sanctification, Jesus says, I, or Paul says this of Jesus, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, which is that salvation, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So even in our sanctification, he is the one who is acting. He is the one who is working. He does this multiple ways. He purifies us through his word. David says this in Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. You want to know how to keep yourself singular focused? Your heart pure? Christian, if you're a Christian in here, you just feel like I've just been constantly feel far away from the Lord and I get closer and far away. I just feel far from the Lord. You want to know how to purify your heart? Read his word. Guard your heart with his word. We purify our hearts also by seeking him daily. This is a, d- a daily thing. Listen to what James says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. There it is again. Singular focus your hearts, you double-minded. He knows. We are often double-minded. So singular focus your hearts. Focus on him. This is a daily thing. So not only is it 
the pure in heart see God are those who have been made pure by the grace of God alone. But they are also those who are continually being made pure through sanctification. These are the ones who see God. So last question is this. We're going to end with this. What does it mean to see God? What does it mean to see God? Well, just like a lot of these Beatitudes in here, this is, has a twofold meaning. There's this already and not yet promise here. Okay? Let's start with the already. The pure in heart, those who singularly focus their hearts and purify their hearts daily, here and now. When your heart is purified through the grace of Jesus and you're saved, you're reborn, you're given your heart, he is sanctifying you, you see God in ways that nobody else does. The pure in heart, this is now, the pure in heart see God in the scriptures. We already talked about that. We hear from God in his word. So if you're, when you're pure and you're purifying your heart, you're focusing on him, when you read the scriptures, you see God. You see who he is. You see Jesus as the image of the invisible God. You study him, you see God. The rest of the world who is not purified does not see God in the scriptures. They think it's foolish. The pure in heart now see God in the body of Christ, the church. Have you ever thought about how when Jesus describes the church, it's, it's a body, it's his body, it's a physical form of Christ. And when you're pure in heart and you serve in the church, in a local body, you see God work, do you not? I don't know what I would do without you. I see Christ every week in the way that you love one another, the way you serve your neighbors. So I see God in the body of Christ. The pure in heart see God in creation. If you're a believer and you go to the mountains and you see the mountains, what do you do? You're in awe of God's creation. Every year we take our students either to the, to the ocean or the mountains, and there's a purpose in that. Every three years we go to those places because we want them to see God in a new way. Because when they see his creation, they're in awe. And it causes them to, to see God in a different way, right? So we see God in creation, the things that he's made. It causes us to worship. Pure in heart, see God in his blessings. Have, has the Lord ever blessed you and you just give him praise? A need that was met? You didn't know where it was going to come from and he came through, maybe it's a miracle, maybe a, a healing in your own body or some, someone else's, and the only thing you can explain is that this is God. You see God in those things, in the blessings, but some of you have also seen God in suffering, have you not? When you suffer, we go through sickness and hardship and job loss and a pandemic, the pure in heart actually see God even in a pandemic, because we recognize and we know that God works in ways we don't understand. And those of you who are suffering with physical ailments and disease, it's an ironic that that's the time you feel closest to the Lord because he is near to the brokenhearted. So when you're in those trials, that's when the Lord is with you and you feel him and you see him, do you not? And then you end up, the pure in heart, even then begin to see God in the mundane things of life. The mundane thing, that breath that I just took was a gift from God. The daily provisions that he has given me, the food I'm going to eat in just a few hours, God has given me those things. The pure in heart, those who are singularly focused on God, they see God in even the mundane. Those who are not purified do not see God in this way. But the pure do. So we see him now, right? So this is a promise. The pure in heart, you'll see God all around you. 
Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now I see in a mirror dimly. So he's saying, I see God, but it's like a glass. It's kind of got smudges all over it. It's just blurry. But then face to face. So now I know in part, but for then I shall know fully. So here's this idea of not yet. Only the pure in heart, only the pure in heart, those who have been purified through grace alone by Jesus Christ, been reborn, given a new heart, those are the ones who will see God face to face in heaven. Whether you die or he returns, only those who are pure in heart, only those who have been saved by Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way under heaven for which man can be saved, right? Pure in heart, Jesus Christ, grace alone. So here's the application. I have a question for those of you in this room who, who look at your life and you've been trying to figure out this whole problem of sin and something in your heart and you don't, it's just been this latter type of mentality with God and it just doesn't work. I want to tell you this morning, that's the way it's supposed to happen. It's not supposed to work because it doesn't work. So maybe you've been searching and searching and searching, and instead of me giving you a step process of here's how you get it this morning, here's what you need to do. Meet this rung, and then if you can, meet this rung, and then, and then this next one, these three things that all start with the same letter, a good Baptist sermon, you'll see God. The message this morning is none of that. The message this morning is to stop doing that. The message this morning is to give up surrender and receive the grace of God alone that can save you that's it you can't make yourself pure you can't climb the rungs therefore you cannot see God for you to see God you must receive and trust in his grace to save you alone so that's for you this morning second one is for those of you Christians in this room you've you've understood that but you're still kind of doing this whole ladder deal and today what you need to recognize is um, the same idea of purity of heart, maybe singular, focusing your heart once again, casting down your idols, the things that you're serving, and once again, focusing on him, surrendering your heart, the parts of the heart. He does not want part of your heart. He demands all of it. The greatest commandment, love the God, Lord your God with what? All of your heart. I don't know about you, but I don't do that every day. He gets some of it, a good chunk of it, because I'm a pastor, I have to. All right? And you are too, Sunday school teacher, deacon, long-time Christian. Maybe this morning you recognize, you know, daily, he doesn't always have all of my heart. And so this morning just to be a time of confession, Lord, would you, would you cleanse me, cleanse my heart from these impurities. And today, because I know I'm going to have to pray this again tomorrow, but today, Lord, I want to singly focus my heart on you. So maybe today you need to just trust, put your trust back in him today and ask him to make your heart singly focused without blemish and without idols. Let's pray this morning. Band's going to come up and we're going to sing. We're actually going to sing that hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. As we sing it, I want you to listen to the words you're singing. You'll see it in all the lyrics of all the verses. But this morning, if that's you, maybe this morning you are hearing the gospel. You're hearing the word for the first time. The gospel, the good news is that you cannot attain this yourself. 
The good news is that you can stop working and trust in him. So this morning, if that's you, whether you're in this room or you're online today, would love to talk with you about placing your trust in Jesus this morning, right where you're at. I'm not going to pray a prayer. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. Nothing like that. Just right where you're at. It's a surrender of your heart saying, Lord, I trust in you. I'm tired of working. Lord, you alone can purify this heart. You alone can do that. And so this morning, I, I place my trust in you. It's that simple. I'd love to talk with you afterwards. I'll be right down here, actually, at the back of the room while we sing this song. I'd love to talk with you about that. Christian, this morning, maybe you just need to listen to the words of the song and agree with the, the hymn writer who says, Lord, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Confess that to the Lord this morning and focus your heart back on him. Lord, we pray a blessing this morning on all my friends here. Thank you for your word this morning that teaches us the truth. Father, may we trust in your grace alone to save us. Lord, thank you that you first loved us. Lord, we, we did not seek you. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But you looked upon us and gave us life. Lord, salvation comes from you alone. And so, Lord, we place our trust in you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Lord, you move during the times we sing together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.